this thing on? If you like rock music, punk, metal, or blues, then you've come to the right place because we like it too. Hello everyone, and welcome back to Soundcheck, the rock and roll and alternative music podcast here at Central Michigan Life. And for anyone viewing this on video, do not adjust your television sets. We are coming at you from Ben's back porch. I don't know if this is his back porch. It might be his front porch. Whatever you want to call it. Anyways, I'm Andrew Mullen, and I'm joined as always by my wonderful co-host, Michael Livingston. Who's just having just a dandy old time. City got here freezing his butt off because he didn't bring a jacket. So that's his own fault. And manning the camera right now is our ever so wonderful podcast editor, Ben Ackley. Cool. Anyway, so you might be wondering why are we on Ben's front porch? Um, it's not to torture Michael with the cold, um, although there's a bad perk. Uh, no, we're, we have something very special here for you today. Um, if you cut, if you caught our last episode about Van Halen, which if you didn't, do it now. Um, I mentioned at the end what we're doing for this episode. We're gonna go through each other's final collections. How fun does that sound? So, what we're gonna do? We're at Ben's house right now. We're gonna put on these special little blindfolds, and we're gonna walk over in there, and the three of us are gonna pick from his record collection. So I'm gonna pick a record, then Michael will pick a record, then Ben will pick a record. Um, and go to my house, and we'll do the same thing. We'll go to Michael's house and do the same thing. But you're catching on now. So, um, a little couple criteria first. We won't, if you pick something that we've covered on the show before, we won't do it again. There's no point in retreading stuff. If it's too mainstream, or if it's just an album too big that we couldn't really add anything as, as has been said before, we'll skip it over. And if the record, and the collector feels like there isn't anything to talk about with a certain pick, we'll skip that over as well. Um, this could—I don't know how this is gonna go. Although I'm looking forward to it a lot. We might find uh, the embarrassing hidden gem inside a collector's record. I have a sneaking suspicion that Michael has a hidden Britney Spears record in there. Michael, is there a Britney Spears record in your collection? No, it's actually uh, Beyonce's entire discography. Wow! And I'm proud of that. Yeah. Entire discography. There's a good chance we'll pick it then. Um, if, whether we do or not, well, we'll just have to stay tuned. So let's go. Let's go over to Ben's room, and uh, we'll get the show on the road. I'm Ben Ackley, and this is my record collection. All right. So looks like I'm going first. Um, you know what I think I'm going to do? I'm going to pick a 45, because Ben listens to a lot of garage music from the 60s. So I feel like he has some pretty interesting stuff there. Either that, or I'm going to, like, pick the Eagles or some crap. So, um... The blindfold is now going on, so I am now not able to see. Picking, picking, here's one. We have Graham Parker in the rumor. Local girls, I want you back. You I, heard this before? I have never heard of this before. Alright, this does look good. This is promising. We have Ben's first record for the episode. Hello viewers, listeners, I'm Michael Livingston can't see anything about to choose from Ben's record collection. This seems promising though. Hell yes! What did, Please. What did Please I get? Ben. Andrew Michael this got up. the oft not talked about oh. Wings LP London. I 
love this album. Okay. Beth Michael, you chose you chose wisely. I'm excited for this. I haven't listened to any Paul McCartney outside the Beatles and Ram, so this will be interesting. Thank you, Ben. I also have. Ben Ackley, Ben Ackley's record collection, and I am going to subject you all to a short king personal hero of mine. Oh, Reckless Eric. We, we, we talked about a song of theirs on the, the love episode. The soundcheck boys talk about love, but now we have the whole record to talk about. Debut album. Excellent album. I'm interested to hear what you all think. Hello, and welcome to my humble abode, where a good portion of my record collection is. I have about 850-something LPs, but no, um, I brought about 500 of them. There is a troll sitting here. Anyways, I mean, it's a big problem here. It's good. You just gotta swat them away, but it's okay. But yes, here we go. Here is my record collection. Uh, as well as more over there. So, I had, I brought too much, couldn't even contain it on this shelf. I have an issue. But hopefully it will be used to create a great episode. So, without further ado, let's let, let's let, let's let these two boys, uh, see what they can find. Michael Livingston, picking from Andrew's record collection. This seems promising. Oh, it's in a sleeve. Andrew takes care of his... Elvis Costello. Bert. Interesting. Yes, my aim is true. You done good. You done good. So. Elvis Costello. Nice start, dude. All right, I'm That's it. Ben picking from Andrew's collection for the fiftieth time. All right. Okay. Now, okay. We, now we got. Okay. Interesting. Here we have. Johnny Winter, Captured Live. What do I know about Johnny Winter? He has white hair, and he has a guitar. Michael, I have a feeling you're gonna hate him, but that's okay with me, because I like Johnny Winter. What do you think about me? Well, I like him. Uh, 70s, so there's a good chance. (laughs) Alright, everyone. Now it's my turn to pick for my own collection. Uh, But instead of uh, doing it with a blindfold fitting around, I feel like That'd be cheating too much. I'm gonna go for my Discogs page. You don't know what Discogs is. It's in the website, an app that lets you kind of keep track and store your records into a digital format, and it will help you, uh, like, oh, I'm shopping, and I don't know if I have this. Oh, but I do, because I can look and whatever, blah, blah, blah. It's really useful. Get it. You don't have it. Um, but on the app, you can shake it, and you can get a random pick. For instance, Destroyer by Kiss came up. I have it because it was handed down to me. I hate that album. So we're not going to do it. Ben, you know it's terrible. Anyways, so without further ado, I'm going to shake and see what I get. Okay. Interesting. So we, of course, a punk album had to come up. So what we're going to talk about is the latest record from the band 88 Fingers Louie. It's called Thank You For Being A Friend. I'm going to go hop over. Here we go. Boom. Uh, this is a comeback album of theirs. The, the band had broken up for a while, but the lead singer came back, got sober, and made this record. It's pretty good, actually, so I'll be interested to see what the boys have to think about this one. I'm Michael Livingston, and this is my record collection. 
Hello everyone! I'm picking from Michael's collection first. I'm gonna go for the LPs this time. Let's see, what do we got here? Yes! Yes! Okay, um, I have absolutely no clue what this is. This is the Unknown Mortal Orchestra's uh, first album. And it's really good, and I'm really glad you chose this. I think you're really gonna like this, because it's kind of like, funky. Funky? Yeah. Ooh. Yes. I like funk music, so... What are you doing? <laughs> I am Ben, and I am here with Michael's record collection. Ooh. What is this? Oh. You'll like this, Ben. Aretha. Franklin. Live at the Fillmore West. Another live album. I don't know for, I don't know this live album. Me neither. But we are going to get acquainted. I'm now going to choose blindfolded from my own collection. Oh boy. Um, I'm gonna pick out whatever this is. Oh, okay. Okay. I think I already know what this is. Just, yeah, it's extra texture. We got, we got I can tell because of the texture. The we got two beetles. Two beetles in the house. Two beetles in the house. All right. I like. Excited to listen to this. Welcome to Soundcheck, everyone. It's good to be back in the same room together. <laughs> uh, we are in Ben's apartment right now, um, and we're about six feet away from each other, so COVID's no concern. But we're going to, this episode is going to be so different than what you're used to. Um, hey, go ahead. do you guys want to see how far away I am from Michael? <laughs> oh, God. This is already <laughs> off to a cracking start. About as far as I can throw. Yes. I, I, uh, I, what, ben, Michael, what are you drinking right now? I'm drinking a Arizona right now. Same with Ben. I, I am as well. Ben handed me this grape aid. I had never had this Arizona before. So yeah. I, it's, it's okay. Okay, I mean, back, to, back to music. Sorry. We're, we're not used to this. It's been, God, six months now since we recorded in person, something yeah. like that. Because we didn't do it over the summer. And then we got cut short because of COVID. And yeah, we, this is the best episode we could have come back in person for because, um, Ben hopefully will like cut to a camera. We already got a camera set up on the records and we're going to be playing all of the records that you, um, that you saw us pick out from each other's collections kind of live on the podcast. And it's going to be awesome because we're going to have, you know, the record plan over here. And so, yeah, this is, this is, this is a very experimental episode, but God, I am excited for it. Yes, I am too. Um, yeah, I'm happy. Um, I came up with this idea. Although Ben, although I, I came up with the initial <laughs> Did you idea. Steal all the credit. <laughs> I, I'm happy I uh, came up with this episode. Let me finish, please. <laughs> I said I'm happy. I came up. I came up with the initial idea of um, of of kind of like doing you know like doing something where we pick from each other's record collections. But Ben was. I think Ben was the one who really came up with the idea of how to make it work and make it a. Um, you know, made, you know, kind of set, this whole setup. I don't know. I, I don't know. Uh, it's it's a multimedia experience. Really, and I yeah, think Ben Ben, ben it, expanded on that. Yeah, definitely. Ben. Yeah, Ben really. Both <laughs> of you guys really helped make this work. So I'm I'm happy I, that we're able to come back in person for this one. Oh yes, it's going to be awesome. But before we actually listen to some music, we should talk a little bit about how vinyl is in our lives and how we started collecting records, all of that stuff, because it's important to talk about. And you know, as 
it is today, vinyl is going up in sales year on a year-by-year year basis. Well, I don't know about this year now because of well, COVID. I think there's a lot of things that happened with record collecting this year. If I remember correctly, there was like a, a, either like a pressing plant or like a, like a cutting plant where people can make lacquer that's mm-hmm. actually used to make vinyl, vinyl, vinyl records. I think like the main like factory in the U.S. like burnt down at like the start of the year. Yeah. So... I vinyl might be coming back down on a decline moving forward. I don't know. Like the vinyl boom may be over. I hope not because I. I, I don't think it that. is. I I really don't believe so because, um, I mean, just shameless plug here. Go back and look at a story I wrote freshman year, um, where I interviewed some vinyl collectors around CMU, and they all seem to be really hopeful. Um, as using vinyl as a way to represent your love of a certain artist, not exactly for the collector's aspect of it, but that is a gateway mm-hmm. to, you know, people like us where, where you know, we spend fucking thousands of dollars on this shit. It's, it's an expensive hobby. It is. <laughs> it, not, not even just buying the records. Like, you have to, like, if you want not only a good sound, but actually something that will preserve your records for the long run, you can't get one of those, you know, five-in-one, like, CD Final players and target mm-hmm. for sixty dollars, like, and you know it it, it it's it can be an expense. And I, I'm not like dogging anyone who does because that's that's a good way to get into it. You know, if, if especially if finance is something you're worried about, mm-hmm. but that should not be your long term setup. At the very least, you need to like uh, get like a decent record player uh, for about a hundred dollars. Check tracking force and anti skate stuff like that. And I don't have time to get into all to the specifics there. I don't want to get make this a technical episode, no. but. Um, yeah, it, it, it can be expensive getting the equipment. It can be expensive buying records, especially we were just talking like right before we jumped on. Beetle records are insanely expensive, even if they're in terrible condition. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, 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 it's, it's a hobby that I have that can get very annoying, but it's one that I still deeply love and appreciate anyways. Um, and let's, I kind of want to hear what you guys have to think about that. What, what, what about collecting records uh, makes you want to keep doing it? Well, I mean, I hope everyone's not scared away of the the price of it, what Andrew just said, because it is fun, and it's, I don't know, I've never felt more confident collecting something in my life, because there's so many aspects to it. You, one, and the reason why everyone usually starts is because they they get the music that they really love on, on vinyl first. That's always the first pick. It's like your favorite artist or someone that you've connected to, and it goes along to support them, um, especially those smaller artists. Like, um, you know, your local band puts out a 7-inch, mm-hmm. and you want to buy it at your local record store. It supports them. It goes a long way. But on top of that, you're also getting a use out of it. You're getting a way to play your music in an analog setting you know you can put you can take the record out of the sleeve you can look at the at the cover you can feel the grooves on the record you can see how you can see the entire mechanism play out in front of your face as you're spinning that record and that's really what comes down to it to me and you know there might be those people that think like oh things sound better on records there's that um you know, there's always that chance where there's a little scratching in the background and it makes it sound more authentic. I don't know if I would go that far, but for me, it's, it always comes down to just being able to hold the music in my hands. And my buddy, a buddy of mine, who's now my roommate, got me into record collecting initially. And he was the one that actually gave me my first record. Um, I saved up for a little while just after working some jobs, delivering pizzas. And, um, he came and, he had a 
two copies of the Beatles Blue album compilation, so the later Beatles stuff, um, which is the stuff I prefer. And that was my first record, and I remember spinning that in my room at least once a day until I got my next record, which is probably like a month later, and that's how I started collecting. It's just like once you get that physical product, once you get that new toy, you never want to stop playing with it. You know, that's how I view it. And that's how I started. What about you, Andrew? Oh, um, Jesus. So I, I think, I don't know when, when you two started collecting. I think I'm a little older than both of you. So it's probably, I was probably a freshman in high school is when I first started collecting. That would have been around 20, uh, 2013, 2014, probably yeah. around there. Um, I think I, Probably it's probably probably maybe late twenty thirteen. That that might that sounds about right. Um, I yeah, that sounds yeah because it was probably like I think I got like during winter break of freshman year of high school. I went to an antique store and I got a copy of Blackout by Scorpions, which uh, is a little scratched up. I don't know. If, um, I, there might be a, a time where I would want to replace that. It's not an amazing record though, so I'm not quick to rush and replacing that one, but. Yeah, it kind of spiraled from there. I, I remember buying a couple few, a few records afterwards. In fact, I actually, for the longest time, I had like a pile of records that didn't have a record player. Yes, yeah, so I was one of those collectors for a bit. I'm not proud of that. But hey, everyone's, I think everyone, uh, everyone starts differently. I don't think that's the end of the world. Um, I wasn't until my, my dad had a buddy and that has a buddy. They're still like child and friends. Uh, but he not only dumped like a ton of records, a lot of them Kiss records, which you can say, well, go look at our overrated, underrated, just hear our feelings about that band, but um, overrated, underrated episode, I should say. But not only did he drop that, he dropped like this whole like stereo, stereo old stereo system that kind of like broke down within a few weeks, but I already had, we already had some other equipment we, we could use anyways. And, uh, and like this record player, it was like an ion something. It wasn't the greatest thing in the world, but it was something to start me off with. And, yeah. uh, it just kind of, again, spiraled from there. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, like I said at the start, you know, I know okay, I was kind of, I, I hate to sound like the snooty record guys like you have to make sure everything is adjusted to this exact way or else you're just doing it all wrong and you'll destroy mm -hmm. it no i try not to be if i if i'd like say hey you shouldn't store your records horizontally you should store it vertically it, i i don't do that to be mean i do it as for a reason because I, I i like educating people like hey if you do this you could harm your records over time you stack a bunch right up top you know or hey maybe you should invest in like getting at least something a little more decent than like a you know, a Crosley record player, you know, I, I try not, I, I understand finances is one thing, but if you want something for your record collection over time, not only for it to not, not, not even to really survive, just to have a good experience listening to your records, you know, supposedly they sound better. You're not going to get that from one of those budget turntables, mm -hmm. you know, as much as I can get into, again, the technical aspects of that, like the, the, the one thing I will say is when it actually comes to collecting records, what you collect, what you get, that's just totally up to the collector, really. There's mm -hmm. no wrong way to collect from that aspect. No, you no. know, like some people like to get like 50 records, or, like their 50 favorite records, and that's all they have. And it's great. Other people like Jello Biafra like has his whole house full of them because mm -hmm. he'll just get whatever he can because he likes finding new music. And that's the way he does it. Rollins, too. We have Henry Rollins as well. Yeah. You know, um, those are that's kind of more old school mentality of that, you know, collecting physical, large quantities of physical music. But... Mm -hmm. Again, there is no 
wrong way of collecting from that aspect. You know, for me, I like collecting records because like you already pretty much said it, Michael, like having holding in my hand, seeing the big artwork, yeah. you know, on here this is not the best artwork ever to show it off. But I like, especially when the artwork is really good, having that large picture is great. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, like that's, those are the things that kind of draw me to collecting records. I, I have terrible hearing, so I can never tell you if it sounds better or not in vinyl. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe Ben could enlighten us on there. He's, I don't know if he's an audiophile per se, but I feel like he might have a little more in-depth view on that. But, you know, yeah, that's kind of the reason why I collect records. What about you, Yeah, Yeah, I'll I'll enlighten everyone. Okay, so first of all, I'll uh, address my outfit today. I've got a flannel. I've got my my hat pulled back to the back of my head, and I'm wearing these glasses because I've got this mug that says Denver. Because I'm uh, being like hipster asshole for this episode, because mm-hmm. it's the vinyl episode, so it, it made sense. Um, uh, just technical note on stuff like that. The, the reason people say vinyl sounds better is because vinyl's an all-analog format. So if you're listening to music that's old enough, um, like, uh, this is probably an example. The first, or the second record we're going to talk about, London Town by Wings. This is mid-70s. So what that means is it was recorded to tape. And then it was mastered analog as well, and it was pressed analog. So it was never, it was never a, a digital file, and that compresses things at least somewhat, even if it's a super high quality one. So that's what people say. That's why people say vinyl sounds better, despite potential surface noise and scratches and stuff like that. A clean vinyl copy of something will sound better than a high quality digital file. That's what people say. It's really kind of up to taste, I think. Um, I don't really know how much science there is behind something like that. It could just be snake oil. My big uh, reason for collecting records is because having a record forces me to sit down and really appreciate it. And um, I am a... Graphic design is my passion. (laughs) (laughs) We could tell from our amazing thumbnails you make for us every week, Ben. It's true. So um, I like to have big uh, design inspiration, really big designs, so I can really appreciate these album covers because there are some things that translate really well to digital. There are some album covers, like we're going to talk about Reckless Eric later. His first album cover, if it's big or small, you can really tell what's going on. But if you look at like uh, what springs to mind immediately is something like Sgt. Pepper. Um, that's super intricate. So seeing that on your little phone screen is different than seeing it big, blown up, foot by a foot. So that's why I'm into vinyl, is to, to get those, those real big. And um, as far as the first stuff I got, I know Scorpion's Blackout was one of the first albums I ever had. Also, their uh, Worldwide Live double nice. LP. And then um, I had uh, uh, Bookends and um, Sound of Silence by Simon and Garfunkel. Those are the, the early ones that stick out in my head as what I had very early on. For sure. Yeah, I mean, that's just kind of a little background on how we started this expensive hobby of ours. Don't be afraid of it, though. Um, Collecting records is going to be a timeless hobby of ours, and I know it could be for anybody else as well who loves music. It's just an extension of loving music in in actuality. But um, we should start getting into playing some of these records, and... Um, this is all the stuff that we picked in the earlier segment of this episode. Um, 
we're a little more chilled out now than we were in those videos. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. And we're just going to go collection by collection in the order that you saw them, the records that we picked. And just kind of give our thoughts on them. A lot of these records we heard for the first time ever. I know all of mine um, pretty much I heard for the first time. Um, and others, it's stuff we're familiar with. Um, but yeah, guys, this is going to be really fun because um, we all love records. We all love how they sound. Ben is going to get up and start to put on our first listen here. Well... So, um, the thing that I picked from Ben is an artist named Graham Parker, and uh, I believe the A-side to the single is Local Girls, and the B-side is a, if Ben told me correctly, a cover of I Want You Back by the Jackson 5. Uh, that is about as much as I know about this, so I think Ben would have to uh, tell us a little bit more about this to get a, um, a more better understanding of what this, this music is about. Uh, but first, uh, let's, hear, let's hear the song. Um, we're going to play straight from all these records, if you haven't said already. Um, and it'll kind of be digitally processed, so if analog does sound better, we won't be able to tell this time, but whatever. Uh, it's the experience, nonetheless. So uh, let's, let's hear some of Local Girls by Graham Parker. Um, that's a seven inch from Graham Parker and the rumor who is a very, I don't think they were on stiff records, but it's a very sort of stiff record sounding thing. Late seventies, British power pop. Um, don't know a ton about Graham Parker. Honestly, I know that that is a great song from his first record, squeezing out sparks. There are a few other really amazing songs. But um, Local Girls, in terms of 45s and uh, album singles, is probably one of my favorite singles, period. Like, that's a very high up name on my band name list. I think Local Girls would be a great band name. Um, but I really love that song. And um, I was, I think you can tell in the video, I was very, very pleased when they pulled this one out. Um... Uh, which was me again. Um, I, you know, I actually don't have much to add to that, really. I mean, I like this. This wasn't, like, amazing to me, though. I mean, I like the chorus a lot. Um, like, everything else about it was kind of a little standard. You know, it's like when you hear it, when I think of 70s power pop, this is I mean, what I think of. I mean, it, it just, I mean, it just didn't really blow me out of the water. I'm not saying it was bad. No, I liked this. I also liked uh, the B-side to this, the, the, the Jackson 5 cover. Um... But yeah, you know, it's it turns and stuff that was picked from your collection. I think this is not it's one of the most memorable things I heard. That's just me, though. But I'm still happy I picked it out, though. What do you think, Michael? 
What? <laughs> no, did I just I just missed this uh, being in yeah, person. I, it's truly I surreal. Do, I really do like looking at each other and <laughs> not having to like wait and then awkwardly stumble yeah. over each other and. It's really strange, honestly. It's it's helping the energy a little bit, I think, too. <laughs> I really like this song. Um, it, when I imagine a a Ben Ackley song, um, this is something like this is usually what's going to come to mind. And I think it was the perfect song to pick out of your collection that would represent it. Um, something seventies, something really simple, something really fuzzy that could fall apart at any second. Um, I love the chorus. I thought it was really memorable. And I love the guy's voice too. I just, it sounds like, it sounds really warm and welcoming and the guitar tones blew me out of the water. I, I did enjoy this one. And, um, for a single, I think it was, um, it's some, it's a 45 you put on, um, when you just want to jam out to something in the background, um, maybe you have some friends over and they're like, Hey, pop on a 45 and that's the one you go for. And it, it fits the vibe. And I really enjoyed it, Ben. Cool. And we got the picture sleeve too, but let's keep rocking. Let's keep this super sounds of the seventies weekend trucking (laughs) with, um, the next pick, which was Michael's pick from your collection, from my collection. Yeah. And I will debut it now because this was one I was probably the most interested in hearing out of all the ones I picked out. We're doing London town from Paul McCartney and the wings. And, you know, we're, I, for somehow I got all the Beatles picks. I it was just listening to a bunch of Beatles for the most part, but this one in particular, I was fascinated with, cause I haven't listened to any wings before. Haven't even listened to Paul McCartney solo much beyond Ram. Um, and of course I'm always on the John side of things when it comes to the Beatles. So I was really looking forward to listening to, um, Paul kind of on his own, but also have new creative thinkers in the band besides the Beatles. Um, and what came out of it was a really awesome experience because while the album title is London Town, I feel like Wings, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a lot more of an Americanized band um, than the Beatles were, right? Um, for it, just, it just seems like they adapted that sound. You mean, yeah, it, it does sound more American. I think... Uh you know, as far as like what was happening in the music scene in America at the time. And if mm-hmm. I remember correctly, um, Ben kind of said before we started recording that they were huge in America. Like probably, like, I, I don't know, maybe probably more so than I would imagine than over in Europe. Yeah. Um, so but, it makes sense to me. Yeah. But this song in particular that, that we're about to play for you, um, just let me pull it up real quick. So uh, don't let me bring you down, right? Don't let me bring you down is right. And I, I bring that up because this song kind of has like an American frontier vibe, like the, with the way the acoustics yeah. are and the way everything, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like, you know, you would hear it in like a, uh, like a woodland mu- movie. Um, just, a, you know, the American frontier mountains in the background. That's what I imagine. And like, it was kind of deceiving because I thought it would just be, you know, extension of the Beatles, but it turned out to be definitely not that way at all. So Ben's going to get us started here. He's got the needle dropped in on the right place.
What'd you think oh. of that, Andrew? Um, yeah, I, first of all, I love that track. Glad you highlighted that one. Um, I've, you know, I was really, if, if you all were listening earlier, uh, the listeners, wonderful listeners at home, uh, we were picking out the records, both me and Ben, particularly me, though, got really excited when you picked this one out. Because this is probably one of my favorite Paul McCartney albums post the Beatles. Um, everyone knows, like, I'm more of a George guy when it comes to the Beatles, but Paul McCartney is definitely a number it's definitely right behind him at number two. Mm-hmm. And while I feel like, especially at the start, I feel like his stuff can kind of be hit or miss. Like a, lot of the, a lot of his records can be pretty boring, honestly, when you, when you go back and listen to him or there's a stupid song in there in between. I feel like as the decade went on, you know, the 70s, I think he, both his solo material and the stuff with Wings got a little more consistent. Mm-hmm. It was consistently good. And um, this is a great pick. I don't know... How I don't know how where people hold this in terms of Paul records. I uh, hope it's high because I think this is a really strong record. There are a couple weird tracks in here that I hate, like Children Children. It's creepy, really creepy. Yeah, um, famous, gr- famous groupies. Famous groupies yeah. is uncomfortable and also just a hot mess of a song in general. I feel like um, the album did drag at times. Like it, it, you know, get rid of those two songs or like another one of the weaker tracks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it, it would have been a perfect ten. Like I, or extremely close to it. Yeah, no, I agree. Like they need to like those two songs definitely get out, need to get out of the way. And I think the the, the second half of this record is definitely stronger than his first. But I just really like not only like the um, kind of like the variety and like tones and moods in this record, but also just the styles. And if you want a hard like rocking you know single mm-hmm. i've had enough it's a great song for that okay. um but then you get like stuff like Deli- like uh deliver your children is also a great rocker as well uh but then you get stuff like don't don't let it bring you down where it's a little more um subdued a little more uh and it has that old west vibe where you get something like the title track you know mm-hmm. which opens this record off it's more more of a downtrodden thing to get started off but i think it slowly builds into like the the second track in this album so, which is Cafe on the Left Bank, which is yeah. a great song, apart from the frickin' cowbells. Um, that song would be perfect if it didn't have the cowbells, but this is, that's just an aside for me. But no, this is, I love this album so much, so I was really excited that you picked this one out. I'm glad you really liked it, Michael. Yeah, expanded my, um, my Paul McCartney knowledge, and probably will revisit the Wings pretty soon. That makes you happy, Ben. I know what you love that album, because it came from... You know, your collection. So. Maca. Yeah. Um, this this album, just for a little background, so we're not having a completely, uh, an episode completely bereft of you learning. Um, the some, So this album comes from a really interesting part of uh, the Wings discography, a really interesting time in Paul McCartney's life, where Linda, his wife, also a member of Wings, was pregnant um, again for the third time. And uh, the drummer and bassist both left. So the people that were left was Paul, Linda, and Denny Lane, the guitarist who had been there the entire time. The last time this had happened was Band on the Run. Um, So it's a a bit of a return to that sound. It's a little more song-focused where the last album, the album before this, Wings at the Speed of Sound, is really trying to showcase Wings as a full band. Every band member gets to sing their own song. It's not just the Paul McCartney show. That was Paul's big goal with Wings was to have an actual rock band, which he kind of achieved, although everyone still just sees it as Paul McCartney solo. But um, yeah, this this record is really good. And it, it does have the American influences, like especially on that song, you hear the Old West stuff. You hear sort of the Americana. What you don't hear 
in a lot of this, except for maybe it might get a little yachty at times, is that this part of the sessions for this record were done on a uh, boat in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Mm-hmm. Um, the The sessions for this took place over like a year or so, and a, a song I really want to highlight that's not on this record, but you can find it, and it's really good, is Mall of Kintyre. That was a non-album single from these sessions, and if memory serves... That was the biggest selling UK single until uh, Band-Aid put out Do They Know It's Christmas in 1984. <laughs> so it surpassed uh, the Beatles to be this, the best selling UK single until it was again surpassed by Band-Aid. <laughs> but um, that's a great song. I think that London Town is a really good example of Paul McCartney in the 70s and a, a good example why he's my favorite Beatle primarily for that period of time from the end of the Beatles to 1980. Cool. Want to keep it rolling? Yeah, let's keep it rolling. I know this one is also very dear to your heart. Let's roll on, John. This is a dear, dear song to my heart. I, um, I, I, I've talked about Reckless Eric on the show before in passing. I'm sure. I don't mm-hmm. even. I, I, I brought him up um, for the love episode. It was a song from the album we're about to play, uh, "Whole Wide World," which is definitely his most famous. You can hear Will Ferrell sing it and whatever movie that was that he sings it in. But uh, (laughs) Reckless Eric is a purveyor of uh, Stiff Records style, which was his label for the first three albums, Uh, shambolic punk rock, sort of punk rock, power pop. It it rides many lines. Some would say that he has a terrible voice. I think he has a great voice. Um, But we're going to play a song from his first LP. If you're watching the video, you're going to see that it's, on blue vinyl because this is a stiff records promo version of his first lp which i was very excited to find put the glasses on put the glasses on it's a stiff <laughs> it's a it's a stiff records promo version of his lp um and it is that is very important that you know that so i'm saying it so all the audio people know um but we're gonna play a song called waxworks reckless eric is a big big hero of mine i i sort of like when I when I make music, I take a lot of inspiration from him. Um, I, I think that I, I seriously don't think he has a bad record. So he's kind of my bad religion or something like that. <laughs> why I, why are you guys always calling me out? I don't know. It's just because you always mention that. It's very easy to I, bring. What was the last on, time on this season though? You've been very I, good I, about it. I was pretty good the last season too, Michael. <laughs> I don't bring him up every episode. You're a stan. I get feel in. like you guys bring him up more than I do at this get point. It, get us out of this. <laughs> okay, play some reckless. Here era. comes uh, Waxworks by Reckless Era. Michael Simon Nicola. Elizabeth. Wax can't walk, wax can't talk, wax never says hello, hello. 
So yeah, that was a Waxworks by Reckless Eric. Very important fellow to me. That's that's pretty indicative of the kind of stuff you find in my collection, I think. Um, or the kind of stuff I'm very, very into currently. Um, what did y'all think of Reckless Eric? I personally would love whenever you bring Reckless Eric on the podcast because it... Similar to the the single we listened to first, I, I don't think there's a better artist that represents Ben Ackley than Reckless Eric. Um, I on that particular track, I love the saxophones in the background. They don't even sound like sax. It, it sounds like you know some weird synth. Like I don't know. I don't know what it sounds like, but it sounds cool. Um, and I love how his songs just kind of chug along, you know and you know, are ready to fall apart at any second. And, um, you know, for the seventies, uh, it seems like it was ahead of its time. Um, I bet you could say the same, but yeah. Um, I thought that was a really good, great track, great album too. Love the cover of that one. That's like one of the, an example of the cover that you just want to look at and like pick out the different nuances in his outfit and his facial <laughs> expression and his guitar um, it, it's just one of those, um, reasons why you want to buy vinyl. What about you, Andrew? Uh, yeah, I, I wasn't really sure what to, I wasn't really sure what to expect when I jumped into this. I remember listening to a whole wide world, um, for the love episode. I remember liking it, but it wasn't like something that like blew me out of the water. Um, but I knew it was like, one of your favorites, Ben? So I was like, all right, well, I, I, I was really so I was really interested to hear what this was going to sound like, and after listening to this record, I mean, I, I see it now, man. I see why you like him a lot. It, it, in, in, I, I can kind of call myself a fan of, fan too. Um, you know, I, I like how simple this record is, but it's not because there's a lot of moving parts to it. I feel like there's a lot of different instruments he brings to this, uh, so it's kind of complex in that way. Um, sax, I also think, was a great touch as well. Um, his voice, I mean, I can see why people would not like this, but I, I don't know. There's something, you know, this, this record, this music, I would say is endearing. It's this is the word that I keep going back to. He's not perfect in anything he presents. He's not the best musician, you know, in ter- terms of his playing. He's not the best singer. He's not the best in that aspect, but I think his songwriting makes up for it. But his voice has a charm to it. You know, it has this side of snotty, bratty. I, like I, attitude to it, but also it's like a kind of an innocent edge to it as well. What he's singing about, like seeing a whole wide, is this just this really snotty, bratty guy singing singing about how he wants to travel the world to find his true love? You know, like I, I I don't like you can't hate that. So I don't know. I really I did really like this. I think I can call myself a reckless Eric fan now, and uh, I would be interested in exploring more of his discography. If you'd be ever so inclined to tell me where to go next, Ben. That is a. A compliment of the highest order. And I, I would, that that's the word I was going to use. You were searching for a word. Endearing is a great word. Charming is a great word. Because he's never, I would never call this album mean. I don't think he's ever mean or vitriolic on anything. I think he's a very pleasant, happy guy. His songs are interesting. His singing is interesting. There are lots of times on this album where he's like laughing while he's singing or coughing or sneezing while he's singing. <laughs> And shit like that, like that is the perfect example of something. These songs are like two or three chords and they're not fast and they're falling apart and the saxophones are wailing and everyone is just sort of soloing kind of whenever. It's it's a really, I think it's a really fun listen and it's something if you're, if you're used to something a little more structured, um, it can kind of break you out of that 
or if you're if you're someone who doesn't listen to lyrics, I think it kind of forces you to listen to the lyrics too. But I mean, as far as where to go next, honestly, I don't think there's anywhere to go wrong. If you want more stuff that sounds like this, his second album is like this, but the the stiffs at Stiff got involved and sort of neutered his sound a little bit for his last two Stiff records. I think a really good place to go would be uh, the Len Bright combo, which was his band after he left Stiff Records. Um, those are super rough, like recorded on cassette in an old church. Or um, you could go to, I think 2018 was his album Construction Time and Demolition, which is probably my favorite of his. I have it in the other room, um, signed from when I saw him at Third Man Records. Um, I'll put a picture of that up because he's actually like, I think he's like 5'4", um, which is interesting. Shout but, out to the short guys. Yeah, he's my short king, other than Michael. Aww. But uh, uh, yeah, it's a it's a great record. That's why I brought it here. If we ever did a Reckless Eric episode, which I don't think we would, um, I would die. So I think we can move out of my record collection and on yes. to someone else's now. I think Andrew is next, right? All right. Um, so... My record collection next. What, what would you say makes up the body of your record collection? Like type of music or, you know, the what the covers look like, anything like that. Just describe what it looks like. Um, I mean, I don't know if I have an answer for that. I have too much. <laughs> it's, I don't even know if I can say like, you know, you would think I have a lot of punk, and I do, but mm-hmm. it's not... I, I, I just I listen to so much different music and a lot of it just depends on what I can find you know right. whether for good deals online well you take the well how about this you take the Jello Biafra approach you go a into bit. a record store and you go to the cheap section and you pull out whatever looks interesting yeah that's, that's, that's definitely one of the things I do especially now with 45s mm-hmm. um, you know and I, I've you know there's a store in Lansing called Flat Black and Circular and they and they had like Shout a out. like a record dump from like this radio station. Yeah. All these records were like water damaged, had like writing on it. And so there's a lot of interesting stuff that was there for like for like two like like all these LPs that were there for like a, in a dollar bin. But they weren't like you're saying like Barbara Streisands mm-hmm. or your really battered, you know, you know, foreigner records. You know, right. they were actually you know, there was some interesting uh interesting looking music in there you know and that's what i do sometimes you you strike out and you come across something crap but sometimes you come across something really interesting you've never heard before so i do kind of take that approach but i also like buying stuff that obviously that i I, obviously i listen to too and you know music tastes change i have a lot of stuff that i have back at home that i will probably sell one day that i'll probably pass on to other Mm -hmm. people because i'm not a fan of april freaking wine anymore yeah so (laughs) Yeah, um, but... So is that an example, like, buying stuff that you like for this next record that we're going to take a look at? Yes, actually. I think this was, this was a bit of a gamble, but this is definitely definitely something I liked um, when, I, when I bought it. Uh, so, Michael, you picked out... I did. Easily the, easily the best pick oh, from, yeah. from my collection because... You got excited. <laughs> yes, both me and Ben got very excited for this one. Uh, you picked out My Aim is True, the debut record from Elvis Costello. Yes. I bought this in a consignment store many years ago. It was probably my senior year of high school. Mm-hmm. And it was like, it was like this consignment store and it was like a small record section. Like, you know, like it, there's all, mostly crap in there usually. So I'm like, all right, whatever. I was flipping through and like, there were probably a record dump recently because I got like the Rolling Stones, like Hot Rocks there mm-hmm. too. Um, I don't remember what else I bought there, but then there was this record. It was uh, My Aim is True. It was a gold stamp promo. 
from 77 and i was like what like that's how did this get in there and i was familiar with the song miracle man i knew allison of course so i knew some of the songs from this record but i wasn't like familiar with it all the way through it's like okay i'm gonna get this and i bought it back and I listened to it and it was just wow what a record it's it's amazing you know i, I, w- I was talking about this at the start if, if we were to amend the greatest top 10 greatest debut records if i were to have done that just but just by me i would probably add this one to that to that list it's that good um <laughs> yeah so I know Ben, you really yeah. like it as well. Um, How will we give it a play? You mentioned Miracle Man. That's our song. Yeah, right? yeah. Let's let's hear Miracle Man. Uh, it is just one of my favorite songs of all time. I am happy to report to both of you boys that I came out with the same reactions that you had when you first heard this record. I was instantly impressed with the guitar tone and the singing and everything. And I just got to thank Mr. Buddy Holly. I mean, Rivers Cuomo. I mean, Elvis Costello. Rivers Rivers Cuomo came after him. (laughs) I just got to thank him for all of these great tunes. I mean, aside from Miracle Man, I loved Allison. I don't know how he's able to just dial in these tones so well to a perfect clean to the perfect amount of dirty, you know? Mm-hmm. And, you know, his singing just goes so well with it. And you put it best, Andrew, when you said, when you named your big four of New Wave um, and how every single band you would put on that list sort of is able to blend other genres with their unique version of, of art rock. rock. Yeah, of art rock. And I, I just got to say, I was I was really impressed through the whole thing. And even, I, it sucks because this isn't the album that I was able to pay attention to the most. Like most of these I listened to on the way to and from home um, when I went home this past weekend. And those are the ones I paid attention to. But this one I just kind of like listened to in passing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's something I got to go back to. And you yeah. know, I, I heard that his next record is good as well. So is, Yes, this year's model is also a great record. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, the first three are classics, although the third one has a bit of an icky moment on there. Um, 
Yeah, no, I am a shoe is amazing. Um, you know, and you, you were mentioning like you know the big four of new wave, how they kind of combine different genres with art rock. For me, obviously, the B fifty twos combined surf music with, you know, art rock. You know, dance dance music for Talking Heads. You know, reggae for the Police, and then um, for for uh, Elvis Costello. It's, well, it's not really a genre; it's just more just being Buddy Holly, but mm-hmm. kind of more aggressive, which I think works really well for him. You have that those really clean guitar tones with just this Elvis just like really just kind of like screaming over them. Um, I know you were making fun of me, but I will be a bad religion stand. Uh, I know when bassist Jay Bentley from that band, uh, he just kind of talked about this on a. Uh, on those well, um, what's in my bag for from even music and he kind of described the reason he said he really liked Elvis and I think it makes sense is that he's really good at being angry without necessarily being loud he has just this unique way of kind of displaying that which I think it's you really hear that in, in, in that song in particular like Miracle Man to me is I, I will just be walking to like work or to school or whatever minding my own business and then out of nowhere not hearing it weeks like it's like you never ask me what I want it just gets in like it's just like one of those perpetual earworms and I don't mind because it's a great song so yeah. um it's it, it's a personal favorite of mine and Ben you know I know you really like this one as well right yeah I mean Reckless Eric followed by Elvis Costello is a hell of a one-two punch like this is a you know power pop mega mecca like power pop Mount Rushmore to me Elvis Costello and Reckless Eric throw in Nick Lowe and some probably Alex Chilton. Um, but like this record is probably it's, it's not quite old enough, but it's definitely one of the first records that I just loved, like hands down would listen to it every single day. I know all of these songs I was driving home. I hadn't listened to this record all the way through in probably two years at least, but I was driving home this weekend as well. Um, and listening to this, and I know every single word by heart of this album. It is just ingrained in in me. Every fiber of my being is familiar with this and the second Elvis Costello albums. I think that they're perfect. I was so happy when we pulled this out so we could talk about this. I mean, you guys are getting me feeling some kind of way. I'm I'm, I'm ready for a I'm ready for a, a a new wave episode, honestly, or like a like a power pop or something, but. We do have to put Talking Heads back in somehow. We, we, we that lost episode. Head. Lost episode. I'll do it one day. Um, but anyways, yeah. Uh, let's move on to the next pick, and I'm going to try to get this one out of the way, because I I know how you two feel about this one already. So, uh, <laughs> next record, which was picked by Ben, uh, he picked a live album uh, from legendary blues guitarist Johnny Winter. Uh, if you've never heard of him before, it's okay. He's kind of in the... So you can put him in the same vein as like a Texas bluesman like uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan, although I think he probably created uh, Stevie a little bit by, by maybe at least a few years, mm-hmm. a little bit more. Um, this album is called Captured Live. I remember correctly, this is Johnny's second live album. It was released in 1976. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know much more about this one in particular. Um, I know he performed a lot of covers on here. I believe I bought this record. Either it was in like, a record shop called Dearborn Music in, in Dearborn. Uh, sounds about right. Either that or maybe it was an antique store. Um, yeah, uh, when I first started listening to this, I'm like, oh my God. When I heard Johnny open his mouth, I'm like, oh my God, my 
Michael is going to hate this so much. <laughs> and then when I saw the song links on here and the fact that one of those really long songs was a Bob Dylan cover, I'm like, oh my God, Ben's going to hate this so much. Um, so I, oh my God. And you know, it, but you know, it's in my collection, so I'm going to defend it and mm. why it's in here. So I will say, I will say this though. I think a very fair criticism of Johnny Winter that he does not have a good voice. In fact, he really didn't sing. He just kind of shouted a lot. This <laughs> <laughs> is pretty much what it is. When, when, when he's like less kind of like kind of sounding, it's 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 okay. But like when he really like kind of lets his vocals go, it can be it can be it can be grating. I I I won't argue that. Um, yeah, I know I'm doing a terrible job selling selling what this is, but no, Johnny. His strength comes straight from his guitar playing. He he is a legit shit guy when it comes to his playing it's, it's amazing like we hear, hear him shred hear his his take on the blues it's great uh he actually does play a slide as well uh legendary he le, um legendarily he used a pv piece of pvc pipe for a slide instead of like an actual like metal or a uh metal or a, um or a, what is it uh i forget what other material slides made i gotta stop you real quick we're talking about selling it to us um how much did this one cost you um, I don't remember. Maybe like six. whatever price it was, it was not worth. Yeah, you, uh, it actually is, and here's why: the, the guitar playing is great. When 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 he's kind of like just lets when they just let him jam, he's a great guitar player. And this album, and the reason why I really like live albums is when they can really just, just so much energy. You feel like you're at a show, and I get that with this one. I think I feel like so much energy when I was listening to this. Mm-hmm. I was carving like a pumpkin or something when I was listening to this, and I was having a lot of fun, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah, I, I will. I'll I'll start with this one, and Ben can capitalize. But first off, you got to realize this album was pinned up against my other picks, which were Beatles material, and it's yeah. like. No matter what Beatles material you choose, most of the time it's going to be at least good, you know? So I didn't really have a fair, I had an unfair advantage when listening to Johnny Winter. But also, yes, the singing is god awful. Um, <laughs> and the guitar playing is not anything I haven't heard before, you know? I, I gotta say it. Like, he's a great, he can shred, he can lay down a great riff, but, um, you know, we just, we, we did Eddie Van Halen last week, man. And it's like, I, I just got the point of like, oh, Eddie Van Halen, like he's not just a great guitarist. He's an innovator. You know, I didn't get that from Johnny Winter. Mm-hmm. Um, what Ben? Oh yeah. Sorry. We got to play this. <laughs> yeah. We're, we're going to, we'll play the second track from this record. It's called Roll With Me. Yeah.
Yeah, I mean, as Michael said, he thought that you paid too much. I was going to say, you, you, you were saying you got this from a record store or maybe an antique store. Yeah. I was surprised because I thought that you got it from a garbage can. <laughs> Whatever. Whatever. Whatever, Ben. But seriously, I'm not as, as, as hateful towards this as Michael is, you know. Um, there's a soft spot in my heart for 70s rock and roll. That's, that's, the, that's my decade. We ended up with a ton of 70s stuff today. I couldn't be happier. Um, it, it, I don't know. It's, it's from a really specific short period of time where 70s rock guys were getting popular from their live albums. Um, biggest example being Peter Frampton. Um, and uh, Johnny Winter actually got popular from his first live album. That was his biggest seller. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they couldn't really, at least in terms of Peter Frampton, couldn't, couldn't really capture that energy in the studio. Um, I think that the big issue with this record is not song length. I like big you know, rock or blues jams like this. I like the Bob Dylan cover. I think he took it in an interesting direction, and he just lets it all hang out on that one and really extends it. The issue with this is when he goes, <laughs> because uh, it's just not, yeah. I mean, it's not nice to listen to and not in a good way. Like I like a lot of bad singers, a lot of just people who people would say this is a bad singer, but they're bad in interesting ways. I feel like Johnny Winter can either sing. Johnny Winter sounds like a backup singer. Like, he can sing just fine if he's just singing. And then he tries to, like, gruffen it up. And instead of going, or, like, like somehow adding a little growl Character to his voice, to he just goes, Ugh! and that is not conducive to a good listening environment. So when he shuts up and plays guitar, maybe it's not the most revolutionary thing ever, but I'd much rather listen to that than him sing. And I, I think all the songs are good. I don't really think it's too long. I was driving home with this. It was just a nice little companion. There was like a, some sort of house fire or a cornfield on fire near my house. So I couldn't get to my house. But I, You had the winter to put yeah, it out. Yeah, exactly. The winter was putting it out with his, uh, his uh, siren song of a voice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah hey, siren song is supposed to sound lovely. I know. No, I, yes. I mean, yeah, I like Ivy Gary Queens. Yeah, this, this, he does not have a good voice um you know again when when he's singing he's just fine i I don't like i'm not personally like i think the guitar playing is good enough for me to point where i can kind of look past some of that rougher voice rougher vocals i know it's not revolutionary but sometimes i don't i don't need it to be quote-unquote revolutionary or innovative if it's done well if it's it's done well and i mean i i don't know i always i'm always drawing back to his guitar playing i think he just has just one of those guys that just love listening to jam jam out so i don't know i, I wish he done for those who don't know johnny winter um probably has a slight more famous uh 70s rock uh brother egner whitner egner winter oh my god um um i know they did a lot of stuff together i, I just wish he had just kind of stuck with egner you know like egner is actually a pretty decent singer uh, at least more so than um than Johnny and you know they they had just kind of stuck together and they just done some blues rock like this and let Johnny just do all the guitars I think it would have been great uh sadly though I don't know if we got really much from that um just to kind of wrap this part up uh Johnny Winter died in 2013 I don't remember what of might have been cancer or a heart attack I, I, I could be mistaken could be mistaken there it's actually when I first heard about Johnny is when he passed away so 
Um, there you go. You know, I mean, he's a celebrated blues guy. Maybe, I don't know, sounds like you, you don't think he should be Michael. I, I get it. I get why people don't like this. So, yeah. Good Good riddance to this segment of the podcast. Now we can move on to a better record from your collection that's, uh, I think, a little more representative of your collection as a whole, would you say? Yeah, so, lastly here, we're going to go off. We're finally leaving the frickin' 70s. We're Mm -hmm. actually going to... I mean, technically, it is the very recent, 2017, although this band is primarily known for the work in the 90s. Uh, the band's called 88 Fingers Louie. I think I've, we've mentioned them on the show before. Well, yeah, you've mentioned them to me plenty of times because you showed me... I first heard this band when I visited you and your... Um, you're on um, Daily Tribune internship. Yeah, when I was up up and living in Huron County, here in Michigan during the summer, I, I meet Michael came up to visit and I played him the song. It was probably 100 Proof, which is one of my favorite songs of all time. No, that's the second time I've said that on the show. But seriously, that holds weight because it's my favorite bass line ever, that song. Mm-hmm. Seriously, if you've never heard that song, go check it out. Um, so, But this is their most recent record. This is actually kind of a reunion record. Uh, no, it, it is. Um, the band had reunited... Uh, the band broke up in like the late '90s. From my understanding, the singer he was kind of an alcoholic, just really not a good person uh, behind the scenes. Um, he didn't treat his bandmates very fairly. So the guitarist and bassist left, and those two people being I'm gonna pull up my notes because I always pronounce them wrong. Um, Dan, uh, guitarist Dan uh, W. I don't know how to say his last name, and Joe Precipi. Uh, who both went on to form the band Rise Against, a band I know you just love Michael so much. Um, mm-hmm. But no, I, so Rise Against became a huge success uh, during that time. And, uh, but eventually in like 2010, I think, uh, 88 Fingers reunited uh, with the original singer and guitarist, although uh, Joe did not come back. They had a new drummer then as well. Um, they did like a live DVD that um, they recorded that. It was like just a short union, but then they came back later in the decade and in 2017 put out this record. Thank you for being a friend. Um, it's This is not the best start to their discography. This is more of a reflective record, which is interesting for a punk album, but that's really what this is. It's more of a reflection based on a, a singer, Dennis's, Dennis Buckley, his, his kind of his journey up, up until this this point. Uh, there's a couple like songs about relationships too, but it's mainly reflective. Um, you know, you don't have the great bass playing from Joe on this, unfortunately, which is kind of one, one of the big things that kind of drags this one down for me. I like this album. I don't think it's anything amazing, but that's kind of my take on this. So I was a little curious what you had to think, say about this, Michael. So I know you liked their original 90s material. Yeah. Correct? Well, first, let's give a listen to the yes. song. Let's do this. Um, I chose from this, this is the one I picked from my collection. Uh, so I am going with, uh, Violence of Denial. It's probably my favorite chorus on the whole album. So, Andrew, 
I honestly found uh, a lot to like in this. And I find it interesting that you said that a lot of these songs were sort of reflective on the band. We talked about in the break how the album cover was. I'm sure we'll address the album cover again. But what I thought that was really interesting about this song is that it's actually about ancient Egypt. Is it? Violence of denial. <laughs> I, I quit. <laughs> and just leave. I think that might be your best work, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I agree with with a lot of what Ben is getting at. Um, I thought this was a, a, a perfectly decent record, and I, and I love the cover as well, man. I mean, we talk about vinyl in this episode and the cover. This is just a great art piece. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, um, I know it can be really hard for these punk guys to come back after many years and try to capture the mm-hmm. same energy they had on their first records. And, of course, that's going to show in this record, but... You were talking about vocals. I think that it still holds up. I mm-hmm. think guitar playing, yeah. the rhythm playing was was solid, and you know it can get a little creative and kind of disjointed at times, and and that's a good thing for me. Um, but yeah, I totally get what you're saying. Where like the rhythm section just isn't there, you know? Yeah, and that's probably my biggest gripe. Yeah, you know, and get so for for some context again. I don't know if I gave enough at the start. Uh, Eighty eight fingers, Louis. They're they're actually a Chicago punk fan, which is weird for me because there's you would think chicago would have a great history with punk music but there hasn't been a lot of amazing punk bands if you mm-hmm. think about coming from there uh naked ray gun comes to mind they're pretty good but um no i, I and honestly idiot fingers is definitely one of the city's best imports and exports sorry from that uh that genre they formed in 93 again a lot of the members went on to form rise against um they released a couple studio records uh particularly um Behind bars in '95 and uh, back in the streets in '98, uh, year I was born, as well as this um, really long and pretty decent, I, I think, like compilation of like B sides and live tracks called uh, "88 Fingers Louie Up Your Well." Uh, well, you know the original title of Metallica's uh, "Kill 'Em All" was supposed to be. Then you can finish that. Um, so, are we censoring ourselves now? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I just thought it'd be funny. I don't know. But no, seriously. And then there's a lot of other great singles that you can find, like Go Away is a great one, Wants It as well. Um, there, there's a lot of, you, you have to kind of scour YouTube to find like their full discography, but it's well worth it. Because for me, they're one of the most underrated punk bands ever. I genuinely think so. Like Joe's bass playing is amazing throughout this band. I love Dennis's voice. And, um, uh, you know, just listening back at everything it has it has this weird 90s edge to all like the steak punk but it also combines it with like early traces of like early like 90s emo music as well especially in that earlier stuff um i i think they just have a great blend of sounds they were just fierce on on, on their instruments we had emotional as well so definitely if you're gonna go back and listen to any 88 fingers movie from this episode go listen to back on the streets i think that's their best material mm-hmm. but you know again talking about this record you know uh, i was talking about reflection i mean even the title we mentioned the album cover a couple times uh the the gentleman um who maybe we'll cut to at this part sitting on the bench uh that is the band's mascot it's like this weird tommy gun like 1920s like prohibition era like tommy gun wheeling gangsters like yeah um and you can find that in like a lot of their old cover art especially on the first two studio records um but now he's just kind of sitting on a bench feeding the pigeons you know mention reflection you can hear it in songs uh Songs like Art's Hard Vices, you know, um, All the Right Words and, uh, you know, Medications, you know, he struggled with addiction a lot of his life as well. So, um, 
Yeah, you, you can you can definitely hear that a lot in this record, um, and I, I really like it. I, I still think there's a lot of energy to be found on here. Catastrophe Waits, it's almost like a speed metal intro. I love mm -hmm. that opening riff, but yeah, I, I agree with you, Michael. The rhythm section is just kind of lacking on this. It's not as interesting as it used to be. Right. So Yeah, I, I think this was a great album to round out your collection, Andrew, and I mean, I feel like this is stuff like this is going to be scattered throughout your over- I think 800 something <laughs> records yeah, or something crazy point. like that. Yeah. You know, um, the issue is, and the reason why this one was kind of picked out other than any other 88 fingers records, because the only one I have of theirs, because their original stuff just doesn't, isn't like, I know they re recently reissued it, but like they don't just repress those mm -hmm. like, ever. So like they're really hard to find. So, yeah. well, I guess we can move on now from our largest collection from Andrew to the smallest. And that would be mine. Um, I own about, 150 170 if you want to count 45s but um yeah my collection probably has the largest amount of new records um and that yeah. would justify the small amount i have because i do buy newer music more pre most prevalently and that really doesn't show in the three records that we're about to <laughs> showcase right now because um the first record that ben is getting out what are you getting out um, no, we're, we're, we're starting off the one that I picked. Oh, good. So we're starting off with So this the, is the, actually an album that kind of represents my collection because it is a newer record. Um, it's a album, it's the debut album of a favorite band of mine called Unknown Mortal Orchestra. I was recommended this album from What's in My Bag, the Amoeba Records show. Mm -hmm. and we mentioned it a couple times, but y'all got to go check that out. It's awesome. It's just your favorite artist picking out vinyl records from one of the biggest record stores in the U.S. Um, but yeah, I watched this on the on the Lou Barlow episode, of course, mm -hmm. and he said he had to get into it, so therefore I said, I gotta get into it. But Andrew picked this one out, so what'd you think, Andrew? Um, you know, I, I was just surprised by a couple of things about this record. First of all, how short it was. I mean, you said this was kind of funky. It, was, it made it seem to me like it was instrumental kind of driven. I was saying they're going to all be instrumentals, but like the, the instruments is kind of what's going to be driving this. So I was expecting, you know, a 50 minute long record or something. It was only like, th it barely broke 30 minutes. It was like the length of a punk record. And I was like, huh, interesting. Um, and you, you also said that this album's kind of funky and I heard traces of that, but mm -hmm. that's not really what I got from this. I don't know how it would describe it rhythmically, but, um, I don't know. It was a really interesting blend of sounds. There was some interesting use of auto tone, which auto tune, sorry, which is something I don't say very often because I hate it usually, but mm -hmm. uh, something like nerve damage, it just had this weird blending effect with, uh, all like the instruments. And I don't know. It had this weird, fun kind of spacey atmosphere, um, it, it dragged in times. There were stuff like Jello and Juggernauts I was just not really vibing with. Um, yeah. You know, I don't know. Like the, the, this, this re I like this record. Um, I wouldn't say this is um, one of my favorites that I listened to this weekend. But I mean, I certainly really a appreciated this one and what, what it was, was trying to do. Um, I don't know. Like maybe there'd be something else in the discography that I could probably listen to more so than this mm -hmm. that might have got my attention a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, what would you say your favorite track was, though? Because Ben's um, about to play it. Well, <laughs> more my, mine too. Nerve damage is definitely one of them. But alongside with that, uh, how can you love me was also one. Which, by my understanding, this is the one we're playing. So.
that is actually the only song that I knew from this album going in. Um, I was excited to see it because this has been something I've wanted to listen to more. And listening to it in the car is a really gratifying experience. I was like, my family um, went to a cider mill over the weekend. So I was driving back here and I was listening to this going through like weird country roads and dirt roads trying to get to the highway. That was a really interesting vibe. I, I, I just like the sound of this a lot. I like how sort of cassette tapey, like muddy it sounds. Like everything is kind of lo-fi. And as far as vocal effects and stuff like that, it reminded me a lot of the early King Giz stuff. Yeah, this is just one of those records that kind of preludes and also kind of gives way to bands like Tame Impala and a lot of that indie pop rock kind of flair to it. But these guys expand on that sound a lot in the uh, subsequent records. Um, Their album Sex and Food is the most recent one, and I, I really like that one. Um, takes a little more of a pop approach, but yeah, I thought you would like these guys just because it was, um, you know, it falls into, I, I've noticed at least recently for you, Andrew, that your music taste has started to expand and, um, get a little more happier, um, which is wow. different, um, uh, since I don't know. in the I've time been... that I've known you. Well, so. it's weird cause I've been listening to a lot of post-punk recently and that's, mm. Yeah. Especially a lot of the darker stuff. I don't know if that's necessarily happy. <laughs> but still, I th- I th- I'm glad you uh, came out, at least, uh, you know, given a couple, given a spin yeah. and taking away yeah, something that, from it. Yeah, that's a great song. I really like that one. So. Sweet. Um, now, Ben is going to put on for us the record that he picked out, I believe, um, which is Aretha Franklin, live at Fillmore West um, in San Francisco, I believe. What did you think, Ben? This was really interesting. We, we had a few running themes through this show. We had a lot of 70s stuff. We had two Beatles, and we had two live albums. The superior one was this Aretha Franklin. <laughs> <laughs> um, but seriously, uh, this album opens with a like explosive, venue-destroying version of Respect that's like played super fast and the band is like falling apart and she's getting spitting out half the lyrics and oh my god like when aretha franklin passed when was that was that i think it was last year last year now i think so um i i was upset and i was like oh what a loss like she was a, a good performer but you don't get that as much from the records as you get from a live album like this like this was pretty explosive at times and at times it was kind of laid back but her voice could just take it away and it's queen of soul baby yeah and you Mm -hmm. can hear uh, something I i found interesting with this one was um there were times where it would cut to you know like like you end a song and then they fade the audience mic back in and i don't know where they put that mic but there were times where like you could hear people clapping and it was like right there like it was super loud, just a few people clapping that made it sound like a, an audience recording almost. I know it wasn't. It was definitely legitimately recorded, but there are all these little glitches in there too. Like there are lots of wrong notes and sometimes the backup singers go a little flat or sharp. And uh, there, there are a few times where there's sort of an electrical buzz in the tape. And I just love stuff like that. That's why I really like live albums from this period of time when they couldn't afford to go back and change as much of it as they can now or as they could you know in the se- in the later 70s in the 80s uh, but this is really a fabulous live record and we're going to talk about it a little more after this but i just want to play 
one of our personal favorites from this, I, I think is safe to say, which is uh, Aretha's cover of Bridge Over Troubled Water. So funny story about this record, um, and I think it goes into another theme when it comes to record collecting, is I inherited this record from my grandpa after he passed away a couple years ago. Um, He gave me a lot of this awesome soul and funk and Motown records that I had never given the proper respect to, pun intended. Um, (laughs) But, you know, this Aretha um, live album, just uh, when I initially heard it, it blew me away. It just covered in and great covers, um, another pun intended, but also um, her, she just uh, puts everything uh, forward. And, and what Ben was saying about the little inflections in, in recording, uh, really give it a lot of personality. Um, I, I know there is some high and lows for you, Andrew. Uh, what do you think if there was anything this record could have improved on, um, um, at mean, least in performance? I, I mean, well, I'm going to talk about that earlier. I, I think you're misconstruing my words a bit. I most, I mean, this album's mostly high for me. I, I really, really like this record. You know, when it comes to Aretha Franklin, I've heard a lot of her studio stuff, funny enough. Um, I actually have uh, Aretha Arise, which is like her eighth or ninth studio record, whichever mm-hmm. one. I think eighth. Um, that is a great cover of Satisfaction by the Rolling Stones. So um, anyone, should definitely go check that one out. Um, when it comes to this one, you know, when it comes to like her live albums in general, I mean, like I've heard live recordings of her, of course, and she's amazing, of course. I just don't really, I don't have like certain like tracks I can pinpoint to certain records. So listening to this was really, was really fun. I never listened to a live album for us all the way through, and I was very impressed. I really liked this. I mean, I, I, mean, I can't really say anything more about her voice that Ben didn't already say. Um, when you mentioned Lowe's, I guess the one thing I had an issue with was Eleanor Rigby. They, 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 she covered that song on here, and musically it was great. It was fine, and she put out just a great performance. It felt a little messy, but you know, I, I think that's just kind of indicative of this whole record and kind of how just chaotic it was in mm-hmm. a great way. I do not mean that it's a slight at all. I guess my one issue with it was it, it just kind of made it kind of a fun, almost dance song when like Eleanor Rigby is this depressing track about mortality and like people just kind of fading into obscurity in society sure. it's hor- it's a very sad song and there's a reason why it was su- surprisingly sad for like a big radio single from the beatles at the time she's i feel like she just kind of missed out on the uh, the actual 
meaning of like the track i mean if she had like slowed it down maybe and like just did this really like gut-wrenching like soul like wrenching soul-filled like emotional performance that we know she can do i think that would have been a design better better creative choice yeah it would have been a better creative, it would just also just been an all-time classic cover i think mm-hmm. but you know this is just kind of like it's not electric music about so i guess that was my only like real concern <laughs> with that but no seriously i love this record cover respect is great i love spirit in the dark and don't play that song uh you know this is one we just prayed i think it's a pretty good cover as well so no cool. this is this is a great record i'm glad i'm glad we picked this one out michael awesome Here's the last one I picked out. Um, I picked it out blindfolded. And here's another one that my grandpa uh, passed down to me. Um, It's George Harrison's Extra Texture. And, I mean, as you can see, Ben, you should get up and kind of showcase this as another cool aspect of vinyl is you can kind of get creative with the covers. And, you know, I've seen artists that do scratch and sniff art. I've seen artists that do, (laughs) you know, this really cool texture thing that Ben's going to showcase where it's like, you know, you have the album underneath and it's kind of cut out and, you know, albums that, you know, holographic. The the inner sleeve finishing the artwork. Right, right. And, And cool holographic designs and stuff like that. It's, you can get so creative when putting these things together. But, to the album itself, I was really excited to hear this because this is a record that I didn't give a lot of attention to when I first got it. And, you know, as I said, I, a lot of this was listening to the Beatles for me, listening to the Beatles solo stuff. And I know George Harrison is your favorite Beatle, Andrew, so I was excited to kind of get my first taste at that. And I got to say, I was pretty impressed. So I think we can uh, go ahead and play our song here, Ben. It is a wonderful little, uh, I think I would call it a sequel to While My Guitar Gently Weeps, yeah. called the guitar, This Guitar Can't Keep From Crying. While you attack and create a fan, I put it down to your ignorance. But this guitar, it can't keep from crying. It's weird because, like with London Town, I also have a copy of Extra Texture. So though mine has a bit missing on it, where it looks like a really long extended K for some reason. <laughs> so on the cover. So I don't know. Um, but yes, as Michael said, uh, we are now talking about the best Beetle, as we were talking about the second best Beetle earlier. Sorry, Ben. Paul's number two. Uh, we could, that's a whole other debate we can into another time, which is an episode nobody wanted to do for a while. But. <laughs> 
Uh, just talking about this record, you know, um, from my understanding, this record was not well received when it was released. Like this and like the record we had before, I think it was called Dark Horses. Like critics kind of panned it. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of them said because it just wasn't happy enough sounding. I think that was kind of the, the reason why, which is the stupidest thing to criticize. What albums can't have different meanings. I, I don't know. Critics yeah. are dumb sometimes. But no, I also really like this record. And it's weird because most of this record is pretty mid-tempo. And when, usually when someone says that, I'm like, oh, great, here we go. I'm expecting something terrible. But no, this is actually an example when a record does that right. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot, of, a lot of these songs that are mid-tempo. They have builds to them, really interesting swells to them. Um, you know, they, they incorporate a lot of different... There's a lot of sax on this, too. We were talking about sax earlier on records, Eric. You Would know. you say these songs have a lot of texture? Yes, these songs do indeed have some texture, Michael. You can even feel the texture on the front now. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, but even then, like songs like "You," which is the opening track, it, it's got this it's a banger, and you know, it's got these great saxols on there. You know, oh, yeah. it's like this record does come up with some variety. There's a couple duds on here. I don't like "Tired of Midnight Blue," which is kind of a mess, and "Gray Cloudy" is really boring. Um, but no, this is definitely not the best George had to offer solo, but it's a really strong, I think it's still a really good example of what he was able to do post Beatles. And uh, just another reason why he was wrongfully held back in the Beatles, but I do not want to get into that discussion right now. Would you think Paul McCartney boy? I thought that it was kind of like, I honestly didn't know what to expect because I know some of all things must pass. And I know it's just like, I don't know. I remember listening to it in high school and thinking it all sounded the same. And then stopping listening to it. But that was high school. And I don't want to argue with you right now. <laughs> um, but from this, I really, if you listen to the Beatles albums from around this time, because when was this? 74? 75. 75. No, this was 76, I think. It well, these, these 74, 75, 76 Beatles albums, when you listen to them, there are honestly a lot of commonalities in the sound. Like John has sort of backed off his manic screaming phase. I mean, he, he goes away after rock and roll, but, um, it's, you're, you're sort of getting a similar vibe from all these albums. And it really just makes me wonder what would have happened if the Beatles would have reunited in the mid seventies. Cause they were all kind of driving towards a similar sonic territory at this period uh, of time. It just would have been interesting, but, yeah, I mean, I think that this is a really good example of solo Beatles stuff. You kind of you kind of know what to expect when you're going to solo Beatles stuff, I think. But yeah, this is this one has a lot of good textures and the guitar playing is really really good as yes. can be expected. Um so he kind of lets lets songs um you know, extend a little bit and lets it lets you know, go of a big solo now and then, which I like a lot. Um, it sags a little once in, once in a while, but I really don't think that it's worth any sort of critical panning or anything like that. I just think it's a really solid 70s rock album. I think George has a great voice. On the first track, you can hear a little bit of a... I know him and Bob Dylan were friends. You can hear some Bob Dylan influence in his vocals, I think. Um, yeah, I liked it. That's all I can say. Good to hear. I was glad to listen to some more uh, Beatles solo material, getting prepped for one day our Beatles debate episode. But uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, if that'll ever happen, it, it will before you graduate. I know it will. Okay. But uh, looking forward to it. Yes, but that concludes a dive into our record collections. And I gotta say, boys, this is an episode to, uh, format I would love to bring back. Oh, absolutely. I can already tell I'm super excited for this one to come out and see how it looks. Of course, yeah. it's gonna, now it all hinges on 
Ben's magic in the editing space. So yes. uh, I'm, but I have no doubt in my mind that Ben will turn something magical out of this. You know, mm-hmm. I this, this is legit. Like one of my, yeah, I can already tell this is probably one of my favorite episodes we've ever done. I really enjoyed doing this, and I really want to do this again someday. So, um, and I know one day Michael will find that Britney Spears album in your collection. Yeah, just gotta keep uh, putting yeah. that blindfold on and taking a pick. It's my white whale at this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, get in touch if, if you listen to this show, please. And let us know what it was like. If you enjoyed seeing us out of our natural habitat, sitting in front of a blank wall, going into the same space, first of all, which has been so exciting, and just sort of out running around for the first 10, 20 minutes of this episode, uh, we definitely had a ton of fun making this probably one of the most fun episodes we've ever made oh yeah um, definitely and we would love to do more stuff like this more stuff where we can kind of stretch our legs and walk around and i can try to film it so yeah um all i would have to say is stay tuned for next week's episode because it's spooky season boys and uh we're gonna bring some more multimedia action to you hopefully isn't that right yes please don't bring back spook check it's coming. it's coming. But first, what do we say at the end of every episode, boys? It is Good Night Detroit. Detroit. Yeah! Oh, we can sync it up this time because we're in person. <laughs> <All right. Wow. laughs>